female folk singer is dead after she was attacked by a pair of coyotes. What is the monkey doing? Tell me what's going on. He ripped her face off! We actually have a trainer in the water with one of our whales. If I show weakness, if I retreat, I may be hurt, I may be killed. Baby Azaria Chamberlain was taken by a dingo back in 1980. Ah, ah, ah. Welcome everybody back to a spooky episode of Man Eaters. Ha, ha, ha. I am Vladimir Putin and I like to Alex countries that belong to other people. Ah, ah. Uh, welcome back, everybody, to Man It Is The Only True Crime Podcast on the entire fucking internet, where all the killers are real animals, whether it's biting, scratchings, maulings, or clawings, we're here to talk about it. And welcome to the first annual Man Eater Spooktacular Creepy Pasta. Uh, uh, uh. It's fucking Halloween, so I've got to do some Halloween-themed shit. You all lose your minds. Um, we don't even really do Halloween here in Australia. It's not... It's not a very Australian tradition. It's much more of an American thing, I think. Um, there are some people that do it. Like, we've got one house across the road that's got a, a spooky skeleton on their front door. Um, but I think that they might just be murderers, and that's just them getting away with it. <laughs> that's just... You, Anything goes on Halloween. It's like Purge Night. I think there's no rules. I really think that there might be no rules. No, they've got they've got a spooky skeleton on their door, but the rest of the street has nothing, and we all just collectively think that those guys fucking suck. They suck! Uh, I'm not recording this on Halloween, um, but it's going to come out on... Uh, what, what date will it come out on? The 30th of October. Oh, the 30th of October. If you're listening to this on the day that it comes out, it's my birthday as well. I'm 30 today. 30 on the 30th. Uh, 30 years old. Wow. What achievements have I done? I can't list them because I'll start feeling sad because they, they are small in number and in quality. Uh, but you know what? Let's let's move on. Uh, happy birthday to me. <laughs> and let's get on with our first ever <clears throat> creepypasta episode of Man Eaters. So because it's Halloween, I thought I might give you guys a little bit of a spook, a little bit of a scare. And we're going to read some uh, creepypastas from around the internet, all of which I believe are animal themed. Some of the people have sent these in to me. I found a lot of them myself. We're going to read them. We'll do some spooky voices. We'll put some spooky music under it. It's going to be spooky today. If you're easily spooked, I recommend listening to another episode, an episode with less spookiness. But this is a spookiness episode. This episode is full of spook. I'm going to spook all over your face so sit back <clears throat> my voice is going oh god it's not gonna be very good voice acting today i'm sorry uh and let's get into the spooktacular creepypasta episode of man eaters ah, ah, ah. i'm vladimir putin and i have a gigantic penis This first creepypasta, uh, and all of these creepypastas are coming from the Creepypasta Wikipedia, um, which is located on the internet. Um, this first one is called The Barn. <clears throat> Nays, moves, oinks, and clucks filled the air. A festive time of day. The ever-jovial evening in the barn. Farmer Sanders walked in, fed the animals, and paused. Why on earth did I ever keep them separate? This ain't just more convenient. It's downright a party for them critters, he thought to himself, as he filled the pig trough with slop. Having finished the last of his daily duties, Farmer Sanders returned to his home for a night of drinking cheap whiskey, eating mediocre food, and maybe clapping his lippy wife if she decided to go on about wanting to leave again. Jesus. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> Awful, alright. <laughs> Late that night, as the whiskey's glow faded, Sanders woke up to a particular sound. Almost as if the animals were fighting. Certainly a different tone than was conveyed earlier in the evening. Sanders went to investigate at his wife's behest, but found the barn silent. In fact, 
the moment he set foot outside of the home, all sounds of nature appeared to cease. Eerie as it felt, he was eager to shake off the molasses of consciousness and get some sleep. The next morning, Farmer Sanders returned to the barn. He didn't remember much about the last night, but he knew he was out of whiskey. The barn was silent, a mere shadow of the cacophony from the night before. He hayed the horses, fed the chickens, and slopped the pigs. Just before going back outside to let the cows out from the rear pen door, he marveled at the craftsmanship of his new barn. It seemed to him as if every little detail was meticulously thought out by them, horse house orchestration people. Shady as they were, they fixed up the barn in half the time, and for half the price it would have cost him to do it all himself. As he turned his gaze back to the door, something peculiar caught his eye. The horses ate, the chickens pecked, but the pigs... The pigs seemed otherwise occupied. Upon further inspection of the pig's pen, he noticed something off-putting. Now, Farmer Sanders wasn't the kind of man who thought too much. Not a man who felt much, either. Too salty for the salt of the earth, too abrasive to be rough around the edges. Very simple. Very simple. But in that moment, when he looked into the pen, Farmer Sanders felt deeply disturbed. All the pigs were gathered around the mutilated body of one of their brood. A piglet lay still, shallow breathing, laboured breaths in silence. Despite having been provided with ample food every day, it appears as though they had rather hastily resorted to cannibalism. I suppose I should have given them more slop, he thought to himself, as he used a large mucking broom to clear the way to the disfigured porcine babe. Further exacerbating the discomfort at the sight, he noticed that the pigs weren't interested in the slop at all. In fact, it was as if they had no choice but to eat the little piglet. Farmer Sanders bent down to hoist the piglet, only to find it felt heavy. Far too heavy for a baby of that size. Upon realising that what they seemed to perceive as their only food source was being removed, the pigs began to huff and then to squeal. They began to get rowdy. What in tarnation did you get yourself into, Jim? Mrs. Sanders hollered, torn between laughing at the sight of her shit-caked husband and exploding in rage over the shit-caked doorway. God damn it, woman, get some soap and hose me down out back, would you? As Farmer Sanders turned back outside, he heard his wife lose the battle against her composure and burst into laughter. I'll give her something to laugh about, he thought as he trembled so violently with rage the thick coat of pig feces almost shook right off his chin. Now, Farmer Sanders didn't have many friends. In fact, just the one. The town drunkard, Bill. He used to run a sawmill until a fatal quote-unquote accident called his negligence and alcohol consumption into question. His eldest boy was split right in half, they say. They also say that Fat William Johnson was never the same after it happened. No one could know for sure though, as it was more than likely any time they talked to him, they weren't doing more than talking to the bottom of a bottle of cheap whiskey. Hey Maud, Bill bellowed between hiccups, what happened to your (coughs) face woman? Oh, hey Bill, it ain't nothing. I fell, Maud said, turning her bruised face away from the visitor. <laughs> Y'all certainly fall a lot, huh? Maybe Jim should get you a walker. <laughs> You're an ass, Bill, a real ass. Mrs. Sanders huffed as she stormed off, wiping the budding tears from her black eye. 
As quickly as Mrs. Sanders stormed off, the door of the quaint little farmhouse burst open to reveal Farmer Sanders, filled with fervor. After briefly pausing to double-check that he hadn't thrown the door right off its hinges, he began to yell to his portly chum. About damn time you got here. I need you to hold back them pigs for me. What? What? The pigs? Why? The rotund man dabbed his sweaty forehead as he began to flush in the hot summer sun. Come on, you'll see. Moments later, they were strategically planning their way to remove the piglet's carcass. As Fat Will hopped into the pen, the pigs all ceased their interest in the now still mangled piglet. Uh, Jim? They normally like this? Will asked as he scanned the field of vacant stairs that fixated on his plump thighs. Farmer Sanders ignored his friend as he deftly attempted to pry up the baby pig's twitching body with a shovel. With one quick thrust, he shoved in the shovel underneath, hitting something hard and firm like a root. He continued to jab at the root that held the piglet in place. A horrendous wail erupted from all the animals simultaneously. Distorted and grating neighs, moves, oinks and clucks plagued the air like the screech of nails on a chalkboard. Desperate to evade the sound, Farmer Sanders hopped out of the pen, clapped his hands over his ears and ran to the barn. Jesus H. Christ, I never heard no sound like any animal, have you? Have you, Bill? Farmer Sanders exclaimed as he turned around to see the barn door was firmly shut behind him and his friend was nowhere to be seen. Bill? The sound had ceased a few moments later, and Farmer Sanders slowly walked towards the barn. An uneasiness began to wash over him as a pit formed in his stomach. Bill? He yelled again, while gripping the barn door's handle firmly and tugging. No response from Bill. No budge from the door. Being the bright individual that he was, Farmer Sanders just kept yanking to no avail. That is, until a peculiar sound interrupted his vain attempts. He pressed his ear to the door and listened hard for any sign of his friend. All he could hear was a squishy, schlopping and crunching. An old, rarely lit tungsten filament bulb illuminated in Sanders' thick noggin. He decided to go around the back and enter through the pasture doors that lay adjacent to the cow pen. As the double door swung ajar with mild resistance, Sanders was met with blank stares. Every one of his cows was facing him, leering. No cud being chewed, no tails being wagged. Hell, it even appeared as though they weren't breathing. Stone still, the bovine wall ahead of him just kept glaring through milky, white eyes. All right, girls. <clears throat> just clear away, you hear? Farmer Sanders announced as he tried gently to wriggle his way through the beefy blockade. Something was off. Vague... Memories of his barely conscious investigation into the barn's midnight cacophony came slithering back. There was a sickly smell to the air, not one you'd expect in a barn, almost acidic, even. Bill? The hapless farmer cried out once more. The upper door and all the shutters were closed. Surely Bill didn't do that. Sanders knew that they were open when he stormed out earlier, as now he could hardly see a damn thing. Through the narrow rays of light that penetrated the slits in the windows and door frames, he found his friend. Face down, in the trough of uneaten slop, was the half-eaten body of fat William Johnston, crowded by gluttonous pigs. No, Bill, Christ, he yelled over as he ran over, grabbing one of his friend's arms in a desperate attempt to hoist him out of the pen. But Fat William's body wasn't just too heavy, even after losing damn near half of its mass. The pigs began fighting for their meal. However hard the farmer tugged, the pigs were winning this fleshy tug of war. As he backed up from the pen, 
entrance by the grisly scene, the farmer noticed something equally disturbing. There appeared to be a hole in the mud where the piglet had previously laid, and out from the piglet's backside was a long, pink, hose-like thing. It had been severed when he'd hacked it with a shovel, and a thick black ooze leaked forth. That must have been the source of the rank smell. As he stumbled back, the shutters began to squeak open. The light of day eagerly filled the room. The sounds of crunching and chewing ceased, and the pigs turned their gaze to Farmer Sanders. But it wasn't just the pigs. The cows, the chickens, the horses too, all had that mindless stare through milky white eyes. As he desperately pushed and kicked at the barn doors, they just wouldn't budge. He desperately ran into the cow's enclosure and pushed past the beasts, terrified. In the chaos, the cows began to stomp and cry out. Finally, he made it through and began to run from the barn, but not before one malicious meaty mammal gave chase. Thundering hooves caused the fearful farmer to haul more ass than he had ever before in his life. Having reached the property line and hopping the fence, he was sorely out of breath. Had the stampeding hooves behind him not abruptly ceased, the beast would surely have caught him. Instead, it just stood still with that blank stare. He couldn't see its eyes, but he knew they had that haunting milkiness. The cow began a blood-curdling call. A call that could be heard in the distance from the barn, wailing back. Suddenly, the cow dropped with a thud. Dead. Are you kidding me? Some kind of a man you are. I ain't the farmer here. I do enough taking care of you. I ain't feeding the damn pigs for you too, Mrs. Sanders yelled. No, Maud. You don't get it. You didn't see what we saw. The way those pigs, all those animals looked at us, Farmer Sanders began to plead. Oh, so you're scared of some pigs now? And you want me to handle them? Some kind of man indeed. Before she finished scolding her husband, his whiskey glass whizzed right past her head, smashing against the wall. Mrs. Sanders froze up as her husband walked over to the liquor cabinet to check for whiskey that he knew wouldn't be there. As he rifled through his shelves, he started one of his self-assed apologies. Listen, Maud, he began as he turned around to find that his wife was gone, the front door ajar. Farmer Sanders hurried through the open door, conflicted on whether to lavish her with kisses or kiss her with his belt. Strangely, she was nowhere to be seen. Now, were Farmer Sanders half as smart as Maud, he'd simply look behind the door. Thankfully for her, he wasn't. He trampled back into the house, cursing and yelling. His temper tantrum proved an adequate cover for the sound of Maud walking down the front steps, getting into the pickup and starting the engine. By the time Sanders got wise to the ruse, the truck was merely a dot on the horizon. A strange mixture of feelings washed over the abandoned farmer. First, anger. Damn Maud for leaving, damn Bill for being pig food, damn himself for causing all this to happen. And that's when the loneliness set in. He'd been pretty isolated out on his farm, but he was never really alone. He had Maud, and when she wasn't enough, he'd call Bill. Worse come to worse, he always had his animals. Right, the animals. That's when the fear set in. First things first, he had to figure out what in the hell was going on around here. Things all seemed to have changed once those damn house committee people fixed up the barn. Maud said they gave her the willies, but Sanders paid no mind. What in the hell did they call themselves? He muttered to himself as he collapsed defeatedly into his good chair. The home handling committee, the house orchestra, damn it, it was something stupid. The farmer racked his brain most of the night until it finally dawned on him to hunt down their business card. (coughs) 
Hello, and thank you for reaching out to the Home Orchestration Accreditors. We're currently experiencing a high volume of excited and enthusiastic callers. As long as your dedication rivals theirs, we will be with you shortly. The automated voicemail machine answered, tauntingly. What use was a damn phone when no one would pick up? Sanders no sooner had slammed the phone than the phone spells began to hammer. Oh, Jesus Christ, Farmer Sanders exclaimed, damn near dropping the bottle of whiskey that he'd been trying to nurse for the last few drops from. Frustrated, he picked up the phone. What? Sanders asked into the receiver. Sanders was met with a static hiss and the mumble of a hoarse, vi- a hoarse voice. He sighed and slammed the phone. Immediately, it rang once more. Was this some kind of prank? He yelled into the receiver, but he didn't hang up. He was too fixated on the tumbler across the room that was slowly filling with whiskey. A single cube of ice bobbed in the glass. Only one man Jim Sanders knew took his whiskey with a single cube. William Johnson. The raspy voice over the phone continued trying to speak as Sanders doubted his sanity. He thought to himself, causing gears not used since a grade school to turn his head. Bill? Sanders croaked into the receiver. The static ceased abruptly before the voice on the other end spoke clearly. Jim, the radio, Bill's voice spoke as the static returned so loudly that Sanders dropped the phone. Oh shit, Bill, the farmer exclaimed, picking the phone back up, but there was only the noise of hissing of white noise. Sanders turned his gaze to the radio and walked over to it. He picked up the iced whiskey tumbler beside it and took a sip. Oh, shit, I'm losing my marbles, he said as he turned it on and spun the dial. All stations were static until a crooning voice with haunting percussion began wailing through the speaker. Don't go into the barn, yeah, Tom Waits yelled. The horrible, screeching wail began to roar out once more from the barn. Farmer Sanders shut off the radio and dragged a chair in front of his door. The sun had set, and the sky was a pitch-black sheet of cellophane. Farmer Sanders paced in his kitchen before picking up the phone. He had to call someone, maybe the sheriff? Unfortunately, a deafening silence was all he could hear from the receiver. Suddenly, the radio came to life once more. I said, don't go into that barn, yeah. From the window, Sanders could barely make out the barn doors gently swinging open. The screeches continued as the beasts began to exit the barn. It was too dark to tell for sure, but they didn't look like any animals he'd raised. A rumbling came from beneath his feet. The foundations of the farmhouse shook. It felt as though there was an earthquake. The work floorboards of the kitchen began to split as tiny, worm-like tendrils of pink forced their way up. Farmer Sanders began to panic. Whatever was in the earth, under the farm, it was awakening. It was growing. He ran to the kitchen window, only to be met with the milky white glaze gaze of a horse. It bared its teeth at him, revealing deep signs of decay as pink worms wriggled from its gums. The shrieking filled the night sky. As he desperately sought a way out, every window held the twisted visage of what was once a simple barnyard beast. A shattering window caused the farmer to yelp as a scaly chicken flew into his living room. In futility, the farmer fled through a back door. He raced for the storm cellar, the concrete foundations of which would surely provide a sanctuary until morning. Or so he thought. The thick walls of cinder blocks only partially deafened the twisted and distorted barnyard cacophony. Then, suddenly, silence. And for the first time since his youth, the farmer fell to his knees and prayed. The silence lured him into a false sense of security as the farmer pleaded to any god that would listen an old forgotten one answered. The concrete beneath his knees split as the tip of a tendril reached into his pant leg. Sun crested on the surrounding hills as a familiar pickup truck appeared on the horizon. Maud, 
along with her father, pulled up out front of the house. Jesus, Maud, I never knew it got so bad, her father said, peeking through a shattered window. Yeah, he really went nuts this time, she said sullenly. Maud! A voice called from the barn as the door slowly creaked open. Jim, you got some splaining to do, Maud's Maud's father yelled as he entered the barn. Maud slowly crept over to the darkened building. Jim, you in there? No answer. Pa, what's going on? She called out, stepping up into the threshold. A static hiss from the farmhouse stopped her as she spied a humanoid figure in the darkness. Don't go into that barn. Yeah. This next story is titled Animalia. I've always had an adoration for animals. Mammal, insect, reptile, you name it. I probably loved it. My parents knew of this obsession. They gave me a Siberian husky when I was 11. I named her Juno, and she was the best friend I could ever ask for. Sure, you know, I had a stable social life in school. I had a lot of friends, but Juno was different. She meant the world to me. When I felt sad, she'd cuddle up next to me, her silky smooth fur always calming my nerves. When I was feeling happy, she'd enthusiastically wag her tail with a face that could melt even the coldest of hearts. It was as if she had a spiritual connection with me, or something like that. My family lived in a small town in northern Colorado. You can probably imagine that the population wasn't that large, only about 500 people or so. My family consisted of me, my mother, my father, and two younger sisters. We, overall, lived a very stable and normal life. Dad would occasionally get a little drunk, but it never escalated to overly incoherent ramblings or poor balance. No beatings, no abusive language, nothing like that. I was honestly really happy with my life, and I knew I was luckier than a lot of other kids. I was 15, a freshman, and walking home from school for the first time. My mum was paranoid. She rarely let me walk two blocks by myself, but... After a little bit of friendly consultation, she gave in and let me walk home alone. I honestly don't blame her. If I was a parent, I'd probably be as concerned with my child's well-being. The walk took a little shorter than expected, probably because of the fact that it was raining relatively hard and I didn't have an umbrella. Also, I wanted to see Juno after a long day of school. As usual, when I merely took my keys out to unlock the front door, I could hear Juno barking excitedly at my return. I opened the door with a huge smile on my face, scratching behind Juno's ear as she jumped on my leg. I miss you too, girl, I said, struggling to pick up her 45-pound body and letting her lick my cheek. I sat down at the dinner table, talking with my mom about the walk home while sliding Juno some pulled pork. She asked worried questions, such as if I'd looked both ways while crossing the street, engaged in conversation with any strangers, etc., etc., Since it was a Friday, I didn't have any homework to do. I was tired, despite the fact that it was only about 8.30pm, which was odd. I usually went to bed late and woke up early as a habit. I decided I'd watch some YouTube or something until like 9pm and then I'd go to sleep. I changed into my pyjamas, brushed my teeth and went back into the bedroom. Juno was curled up on my bed and when she sensed my presence she rolled over onto her back, belly up. I smiled as I sat on the bed and scratched her belly. I love you too, girl. I smiled, scratching under her chin. She thumped her tail on the bed and rolled back onto her side and curled up again. I turned off the light. I got under the covers. Good night, girl. I heard a light tapping sound on my window. I got up, my eyes straining to open, rubbing them as I looked at the time. 2.17am. I looked at my window. It was raining. 
The constant pitter-patter of water droplets violently hitting the windows must have been the sound that woke me up. It was raining pretty hard all week, but there were no thunderstorms. I ignored it and looked down at the foot of my bed. Juno was still there, curled up and drifting off to dreamland. Just as I was about to nod off back to sleep, I heard the noise again. This time, it sounded less like rain. It sounded more like claws scratching against the carpet. I looked out the window again. Still, there was nothing out of the ordinary. I was getting pretty annoyed at this point, uh, but I made something. Uh, but I saw something at the corner of my eye. I looked at the floor near my bedroom door when I made out a shape. All of a sudden, two yellow orbs appeared on the supposed head of the shape. My heart skipped a beat, the yellow spheres glowing in the darkness which illuminated the thing's face. It was cat-like. Its fur was dark grey, with the tips of its paws and tail as white as snow. Its fur was mangled and shaggy, like it hadn't been cleaned for at least a year. Its mouth was the least cat-like feature about the thing, and it was twisted at the corners into a grotesque grin, showing off its rows of at least fifty razor-sharp teeth. Its dinner-plate eyes were studying my every move, and the rise and fall of its chest was almost completely in sync with mine. I was too paralyzed to fear. The thing, for lack of a better term, cocked its head in curiosity. Almost, it took one step forward, in its extraordinary long claws scraping against the fabric of the carpet. As quick as a flash, it almost gracefully jumped onto my bed. I I wanted to run, scream, call the police, do anything, but I couldn't. All my muscles seemingly lost connection to my brain. One of the strangest things was that Juno had not even noticed the thing enter the room, let alone jump on the bed. The thing was standing right next to her. It eyes me again, its eyes piercing through my very being. I was almost certain my life was over. I began thinking about all the happy moments I'd had with my family, at school, with Juno. What it did instead was probably worse than death. It put its paw on Juno's neck, waking her up instantly in a fearful panic. Its hind and front legs seemed to get shorter and shorter. The tip of its paws transformed into points, its joints more visible, growing an extra pair of legs in the process. Its eyes, its tail, grew like a large hook-like appendage on the end. Its head grew smaller and it lost its ears. Its yellow eyes and smile were the only thing that remained. The thing no longer looked like a cat, it looked like a scorpion straight from hell. It stabbed its tail into Juno's stomach, making her yelp out in pain. The creature spat some sort of liquid out of its mouth into Juno's now open wound. Her flesh and bones started to instantly dissolve from the corrosive liquid. It only took a matter of seconds before her body went limp. The creature's now blood-stained maw was still grinning as it looked back at me. The only thing I could do was cry. The thing started chuckling at the carnage before hopping off the bed again, looking back at me one last time before slinking out the door. I don't know how many of these things exist, but please, if you have a pet, you're probably in danger. Next story, uh, it's also a cryptid story. This one's called The Beginner's Guide to Contacting a Cryptid. Since it's the Halloween season, I thought I'd share a small legend that occasionally makes its way around the town where I live. There's a lot of dense forests here in the Seattle area, and people like to tell stories about a hairy, tall creature that walks between the trees at night. There's a lot of Bigfoot rumors around here, but they say it's definitely something else. More like the Michigan Dogman or some kind of werewolf. The big difference is, 
that it is an animal skull for a face, and sharp rows of teeth and a large, empty eye sockets. Or at least that's what people say. <clears throat> See, the thing is, the legend says it doesn't like to be watched, and it recognizes and avoids all kinds of cameras. Convenient, I know. This, combined with other details that I'll mention later, leads me to believe that this cryptid could have been a regular person at some point. Anyway, the story goes that it lives deep in the forests near Seattle and Bellevue, watching hikers from a distance and feeding off deer and wild berries. These food sources can be ins inconsistent though, which leads to the main risk that I'll go into after the instructions. Most reported sightings are around Coal Creek, so that's probably where you'd want to go if you were looking for it. That's also where it gets its most common name, the Coal Creek Demon. Some people say that it's a vengeful spirit from a long-lost mining settlement that used to be here, but that sounds a bit too melodramatic for me. I'd say it's probably the result of some freak accident, but I'm not a scientist or anything, so who knows. There's no weird, real reward for encountering this so-called demon that I've heard of, but if you want to seek it out anyway, here's what you need to do. Results are far from guaranteed. It can only be in one place at a time, and it doesn't live to serve your interests. If nothing else, it's a fun excuse to go camping with some friends. To conduct this ritual, you're going to need a few things. A gift, camping equipment, flashlights, blindfolds, a remote activated light source. Some of these items are only necessary for certain approaches, so you can read ahead and decide exactly what you need to bring. Here's the instructions. Step one, prepare a gift. This could be a metal token of some kind or some kind of trinket, but it's usually recommended to bring a nice meal consisting of red meat and berries. This is a very important step because without a gift, it most likely won't show up. And if it does show up, you will need to leave immediately. Step two, set up camp deep in the woods. If you can still see lights from other structures, you're not far enough. You'll want to go late in the evening so that you can set everything up just before sunset. Step three, put away all recording devices and limit your light sources to flashlights. You could also start a fire as long as it doesn't burn too bright. The idea is to create a welcoming environment while also maintaining a protected area. Step four, set up your remote activated light source a few feet away from the edge of your camp and place your gift next to it. Keep the light switch on for now. Step five, sit back and relax. Once the sky is pitch black, You'll just need to wait for a sign. Feel free to chat and play games with anyone you brought along with you, just as long as you have a clear view of the tree line. Step six. Eventually, you might realize that something is observing you from a distance. It could be a tall shadow in the distance, the snapping of foliage, a sudden unnatural silence, or just the feeling of being watched if you believe in that sort of thing. If you notice any of these signs, it could very well mean that you've made contact. You're now ready to move on to the next step. Step seven, stop all conversation and reduce your noise as much as possible. Switch off the light next to your gift and make sure your flashlights are pointed away from it. This is also where you need to pay close attention to these instructions as any mistake past this point will cause the demon to panic, which could have very dangerous consequences. Step 8. The demon should now approach your gift slowly. Stay calm and avoid any noises or sudden movements. Do not shine a light on it or take out any recording devices. If everything is done correctly, it will take the gift and briefly gaze at the people in your camp. However, if it ignores your gift and instead starts moving towards your camp, you need to get up and run to the nearest shelter you can find. Your lights will no longer matter, so just focus on moving as fast as possible. If you can't find anything nearby, try to hide in the surrounding foliage. According to all known recollections, it can run much faster than any human, so whatever you do, do it fast. This is the point at which most would be content to stop, so if you had enough, just stay in place until it makes a small bowing motion with its head and walks back into the forest. But, if you're an idiot like my friends, 
you can continue through these next steps and potentially get a much closer encounter. I don't recommend it. In my opinion, you're just asking for trouble by now. Step 9. While this creature is near your camp, quickly eliminate all sources of light and put on your blindfolds. This is where it comes in handy to be using flashlights since turning them off is much easier than dousing a fire. Step 10. The demon will now feel free to explore your camp and inspect you up close. You'll hear it rummaging through your supplies and pacing around you. You might even feel its breath on your face, but you need to remain calm and stay still and whatever you do, do not remove your blindfold. The creature is known to be relatively passive towards humans if unprovoked, but if you happen to hear any sudden sounds of distress from your friends, immediately evacuate the area as described earlier. Step 11. Wait until it loses interest and walks away. Once you can no longer hear its footprints, you're free to take off your blindfolds and turn your lights back on. You've now stood face to face with a cryptid and lived to tell the tale. So you've got some bragging rights with anyone else who's willing to believe you. Like I said, there's no big reward, so it's mostly just about having the experience. Now there's some important notes. Let's talk about the risks here. As you may have assumed by now, stories that say it has an occasional tendency to eat people, so there's that. However, based on my research, it seems to only do this when starved or provoked. So you don't have anything to worry about as long as you play it smart. If anything, you should feel bad for the hikers who randomly run into this thing with no preparation. I'd recommend going out during the summer or early fall, since that's when the blackberries are in season and the wildlife is most active. That's just my theory, but most of the darker stories I've heard take place during winter, so I'd say it holds some water. Now, like I said earlier, there's a chance you could startle the demon and cause it to panic. I believe this is usually caused by it suddenly being caught in clear view of a person, so that's why you don't want to shine a light on it or try to record it. If it panics, then it will either try to run off in a hurry or it will attack the person watching it most likely depending on how far away it is. That's why it's a stupid idea to let it walk around your camp, because one mistake could be enough to put you on a missing persons poster. There are some past encounters of this creature. Because of the positive reception to this post, I'm going to do some more research into the thing. I found a lot of neat stuff, but there's too many stories to go over them, so here's the big ones. The case of Brian Matthews. In 2004, this kid found himself in a bad situation, and I'm not just talking about him having two first names. At the age of nine, he's out on a hike with his parents when suddenly they turn around and he's just gone. I don't know what they were doing having him at the back of the line, but that's not a big deal right now. Obviously, they immediately panic and run around yelling to him, and when that didn't work, they went to the police. Within a few hours, park rangers were sweeping the area, and after two days with no results, they brought in the National Guard. While they're out searching on day three, the kid turns up, but not with the cops. Instead, a group of backpackers find him sitting on a tree stump 20 miles north from where it went missing. When they brought him in, he was met healthy and well-fed. When asked where he'd been, he just said that he'd been playing with a friendly bear he'd met. When shown an artist's sketch of the Coal Creek Demon, Brian immediately identified it as the creature he was talking about. Articles quote him saying, Did you meet him too? When he first saw the sketch. In my opinion, this is a pretty big boon for the ex-human theory. Unless there's some species of wild animal that just so happens to have a habit of caring for human children like a parent would. Let's talk about Stephen's camping trip. Now, as I mentioned briefly, my friend Stephen carried out this whole process and ended up getting in over his head. At the time, we were both graduating high school, and he went on a camping trip with some other seniors to celebrate. I would have joined, but I was down with COVID at the time, so it was a no-go. Besides, I wanted to give him some space since I knew he had feelings for one of the people he was going with. I should have seen it coming that he would do something stupid to try and impress her and screw up massively. The group was telling scary stories around the campfire one night, so he brought up this ritual, and of course some of the people wanted to try it. 
he didn't want to look like a wuss, so he just goes along with it. Once they started to get the things rolling, most of the group checked out and walked down to the beach instead, including his crush. But it was too late for him to turn out by then, so he just won the award for the biggest backfire. At this point, it's almost pitch black outside. The four remaining people are putting beef jerky on a paper plate, and Stephen's just trying to keep his pants dry. They sit out with the plate for a while, and just as they're begin- and just as they're about to call it, quits. The thing actually shows up. Everyone there is totally paralyzed, but they still move on to dousing the fire and wrapping bandanas over their eyes. I can only assume their brains were just running on autopilot by this point. Now it's pacing around the camp, slowly rustling through their bags and expecting them one at a time. When it gets to Jack, this really wiry kid with red hair, apparently its breath hits his face and makes him jump in his seat, shaking off the blindfold in the process. The whole group hears a dry shriek and takes off their blindfolds just in time to see him get thrown into the tree line and they all bolt out of there. Stephen went and ducked behind a big log, spending about 20 minutes huddled in a ball and freaking out. When he heard footsteps approaching, he thought he was done for, only to see that it was the rest of the group coming back from the beach. He ran up to them and started incoherently rambling about what was going on, but he realized the demon was completely gone. Imagine walking back from that beach, only to find the people you left were cowering in shrubbery and rambling about a giant monster that isn't there. I wouldn't know what to think. And of course they didn't believe him, even though Jack was covered in bruises and scratches. I guess they thought it was some kind of elaborate prank and they just ended up being pissed off. I wouldn't believe it either, if it weren't for the fact that I know he could never orchestrate something like that if he tried. Overall, it was a very bad night for Stephen. got time for one more story one more creepypasta and this one is called canis lupus diabolus i was about 17 at the time of this so my memory is a bit hazy but i will try to remember as much as i can i want to you i used to want children more than anything it was my dream since i was a child myself but for some reason i always knew my purpose would be for something else i remember the morning very clearly my mum tried to make to wake me up at least five times, but I was too tired and I hated going to school. She eventually gave up, as always. I wish I would have just gone to school that day. Instead, I got up at around 1pm and went to go hang out in the woods with my friend Lexi, who dropped out of school. We just got high as usual and talked about nature and what happened, whatever hippie shit we were into at the time, and everything else under the sun. We would just talk for hours. For some reason... We got onto the subject of dogs. I remember that very clearly. Why do people love pit bulls so much, she says. I'm not sure. They attack people way more than any other breed, yet people defend them like they're angels, I replied. We didn't think it could ever be a supernatural occurrence. Neither of us really knew if there were gods or demons or anything like that until that day. We were just on our way back to her house, just walking in the middle of the street. By this time it was night time with no one driving. She lived in a really quiet neighborhood. No one lets their dogs run around, and if they did, it was a golden retriever or something. But out of nowhere, we saw two pure white animals running straight towards us at full speed. As I got closer, I realized it was a pit bull. We panicked and ran between two houses. When we got far enough, we looked back and to our surprise, it had kept running straight down the road, growling and panting as it ran. We were morbidly curious now. We found a couple of fallen branches that had pointy ends and I also had a small pocket knife. We walked in the direction we'd seen it run, but not very fast, as we weren't as brave as we pretended to be. We just kept walking steadily. Then. After a few minutes, we both decided it probably just ran home. Just when we were going to turn around and start walking to her house, we heard it. The most blood-curdling scream I'd ever heard to this day. 
and it was the scream of a small child. We ran towards the screams as fast as we could with our pointy sticks, almost shitting ourselves. When we got there, the pit bull had its jaws around the throat of a kid and was violently shaking him back and forth like a ragdoll. We both hesitated at first, but simultaneously, we lunged at it, stabbing the beast as hard as we could, but it was as if it was made out of stone. It even made a sound like something completely solid. That's when it turned its head toward us. It let go of the limp child, who was already dead. And it fucking smiled. Its grin, dripping with blood and veins, it was the most gruesome thing I'd ever seen. Its piercing, human-like human-like eyes dilated until they were almost black like a shark's eyes. Time seemed to slow down around us. The area behind the dog seemed completely black and we were frozen. I couldn't move at all, so I knew Lexi couldn't either, or she would have. The black aura grew bigger and bigger, and it looked like it was coming towards us. Time felt like it had completely stopped. Now this part is very hazy, but I will try to my best to tell you exactly how it went. The entire area around me was black. I couldn't see Lexi anymore. It smelled like a rotting corpse. The blood dripped from its mouth turned into veins which grew until they were all around me and I was in its grasp. This dog, it started talking to me. It did it telepathically in English. But while he was saying it, I remember his mouth moving, and he was talking in a deep, guttural, growling voice, what must have been Latin, because I remember him saying the name to summon him was Canis Lupus Diabolus. He told me that I would praise his name and his children always, or he could possess any pit bull he wanted and savagely maul my children to death. He showed me a slideshow, like flashing visions, of all the people he's spread this virus to. It must have been thousands of people, all vehemently defending pit bulls. Some of them even became breeders. Many of them adopted pit bulls. The more thou praise, the more I reward thee. I remember him saying, but he didn't say what the reward would be. Didn't believe him though. His stench was so putrid, I, I wanted to gag, but I still couldn't move. He bragged about how even those who have never even spoken to him directly are still defending his children. So that meant to him that he was God whose religion was growing. He bragged about the rising amount of pitbull maulings he had nothing to do with. When my children choose to sacrifice the human children, they do it in my name every time. Because even if they don't know it, they always make the sacrifice to me, and it brings me that much closer to becoming a god. He told me he would visit me occasionally to remind me that he's always watching, and that he sees through the eyes of every living pit bull on earth. All I could see was smaller spirits and apparitions of pit bulls growing and snarling at me, all staring at me. Canis Lupus Diabolus was still in the center looking at me. Veins were bulging from his neck. When I thought in my mind that I would agree to praise Pitbulls, they all stopped snarling and put on that smiling expression. But their eyes still looked like a shark's. It creeped me out, and they went back to snarling. The whole time he was staring, he never blinked. His gaze started to burn, and it felt like he was staring into my soul. Suddenly... Visions of myself getting eaten alive by a pack of pitch-black rabid pit bulls with glowing white eyes, it became too real. In that realm, he had me and I could feel everything happening. But I could still see him staring, so I told myself it wasn't real. But I could still feel them ripping at my flesh, tendons snapping, chunks of skin flying. I eventually conceded. I promised I would get a pit bull. Though I decided I would never have kids, just in case, I could never be responsible for their death. The bright red veins slowly receded back into its mouth, and before he disappeared, he smiled again, giving me a dire warning. If I ever told anyone about this, I would find myself brutally mauled to death. And then everything went black. 
When I woke up, it was daytime and I was home in bed. I thought it was all just some kind of bad nightmare and it was time to go to school. I was about to tell my mum about my bad dream when I felt my hands were raw. She was on the phone when I walked into the room, talking to her friend about the poor little boy who was killed by a pit bull last night. My stomach dropped. I felt like I was going to pee my pants. I remember his face. It was real. My mum said that I came home in a daze and I looked weird and if I was okay. I said I was fine and I went back to my room and cried. Five years have gone by since then. I never brought it up again with Lexi. Besides, remember when we tried to save that little boy? I still don't know if she saw the demon. I haven't asked and I don't want her to hurt accidentally. She hasn't had any kids yet and doesn't use any social media so I can't tell if she praises pit bulls or not. I keep my praise to them to a minimum. I have two pit bulls. Occasionally I'll get a telepathic message through one of them that I'm not praising enough. I don't care anymore though. I'm too depressed to keep on living. I can never fulfill my dream of having kids and instead I'm stuck with these foul-smelling, destructive, aggressive fur babies, I call them. To be honest, they can be cute. But deep down, I just resent them. I can never have real children. It would be too dangerous. My true hatred for them is too deep. I'd rather just not have kids than risk one of them being killed by the thing I hate the most. I knew I would come out with a story someday. They've been growling and scratching at the door the entire time I've been writing this. I can even hear other dogs barking out in the woods behind my house. I'm going to post this and then take them for a walk. If it has to happen, I'm hoping a bunch of them will come out at once and get it over with quickly. Or maybe he knows no one will believe the story and nothing will happen. I'll just take them for a walk. Maybe if someone out there has any expertise in demonology, they could try to bind and seal this demon so it can't hurt anyone else, like King Solomon or whatever. I'm just too afraid to phrase him again. But I believe that it is his real name. Canis Lupus... Diabolus. Oh, and that's the end of our Creepypasta episode. Wow, that was fun. I like reading those. Maybe we'll do another one. Well, we'll definitely do one next Halloween. Uh, I wish there were more than one Halloweens through the year. There's not. Maybe we could do it on another spooky date. Um, like 9-11. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, sorry. That was very inappropriate um <laughs> jesus what's wrong with me i want to thank you guys for listening to this episode uh, thank you for everyone uh, supporting the last episode too the steve owen episode went really well people seem to dig that one so thank you um i wanted to shout out a special person who messaged me on instagram um they were just saying that they really enjoyed the steve owen episode as well and sharing a little bit about their personal experience with that as well so um why can't i find the message god damn it yeah, it's um, Chris. Chris messaged and said that, yeah, as a Canadian, Steve definitely had a huge impact over here as well. He was an amazing human being, and I believe had he been here today, the environment would be a better spot than it currently is. I, I, Yeah, maybe. I don't know if one man can have that much power over, like, so much fucking shit, but uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and he also said that um, uh, Steve Irwin, when he was 10 years old, he would watch Steve Irwin's nature documentaries, uh, especially when I was homesick. And he'd credit him for his love of wildlife, which would often lead me to Wikipedia at a young age to learn about and look up uh, man-eaters like Champawat and Sankebetsu. Um, there you go. And he also mentioned that he's been playing Spider-Man, which I also have, and it's been goddamn fantastic. So, yeah. Uh, also got a weird email the other day from um, some dude who runs like a website about podcasts telling me that my show is in the top 10 animal attack podcasts in the world. <laughs> And I was like, wait, there's 10 of these already? Like, there's 10 people who are doing this exact specific niche of a show. Um, and apparently there, yeah, so we're in the top 10 of that specific niche in the entire world. So thank you very much. Maybe one day we'll be number one. Um, number one, I don't, I don't know. They've been going for years and years and years. But uh, yeah, thanks for that. That's lovely. Couldn't be on a list of that without you guys listening every week. Um, 
yeah, I just wanted to say thanks. And yeah, it's my birthday, so give me money on Patreon. I'm just kidding. Do not do that. No, I'm joking. Absolutely joking. Have a fantastic Halloween, everybody. Have a good week. I want to see you in another week um, with a new episode of Man Eaters. And until then, I want you to stay safe because as we've learned, it's a jungle out there. <laughs>